Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Man, do we have a powerful and just a motivational story today. I'm so honored that this guest came on to do an interview and couldn't be more thankful for him coming on and sharing his story. Just a reminder, we do have the website up. It's www.thedylansmith.com. Over there, you guys can find all the latest episodes, what we got going on over there. We got blog posts. You name it, we got it going on over there. We also do have a Patreon page set up where you guys can help support this show for as little as five bucks. Um, You just go at the top. It says become a member. Click on that and it'll just walk you guys right through that. But with that being said, I'm super excited for today's guest and I just want to dive right into it because I feel like you guys are going to get a lot of motivation and inspiration from it because somebody that fought stage four cancer and, you know, fought through it rather than letting it define him, he defined it. And I think that's one thing we always got to take away from this life is life is too short. Stop letting life define us and we got to start defining our own life. So with that being said, I want to just dive into today's episode and I will see you guys at the end. Let's get to it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Super excited for today's episode. I got, I think, a pretty inspirational story for you guys today and excited that he's open to share with you guys. So today I got Matt Driscoll. How are you doing today? I am good, sir. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your background and how your story started. Okay. I'm 44. I have four kids. Divorced. I'm in CrossFit. You know, anything sport-related activity, you know, whether it be hiking, biking, running, lifting, you know, any way that I can get out and use my body and move. Right. I enjoy it. I'm uh, owner of a small business. I'm in construction. I started a construction business five years ago. Six now. Yeah, I grew up right here in Southern California, Marina Valley. Went to college out in Michigan. Went out there on a football scholarship. Uh, studied criminology. Got my degree. Um, then I went to work for the state of Ohio, the correction officer, okay. for a few years. And then I uh, moved back to California. Bright, sunny California. <laughs> Good old California. <laughs> yeah. Growing up here, yeah, I guess it's kind of the start of the whole story. And, you know, here I am living in a subtropic region, working construction, early 90s. Not much to do for sunscreen, but more concerned with, you know, vain and vanity. Right. And what I looked like. And so, you know, shirt would come off, digging trenches outside, working in construction, digging or, uh, Building swimming pools. Okay. Started work on a tan. You know, I was a fourteen-year-old kid, freshman in high school. So I come from a Irish blood background, where you know my ancestors enjoyed a lot of cloud cover. Okay. You know, my blood doesn't do well in the sun. Sun. But here I'm in (laughs) bright sunny Southern California. Right. Working eight-hour days with my shirt off, trying to get a suntan. Lo and behold, doing skin skin damage. Okay. Sun just eating my skin apart and so uh every year i burn and i peel and look like an alligator you don't know how many layers of skin i peeled off my nose oh wow anyway fast forward to uh 2005 and i had this mole on my back and i thought it was some sort of a pimple or zip or something and i had asked my wife or my ex-wife now hey can you pop this what is that she's like oh no you need to go to the doctor it doesn't look right so went and uh, saw my doctor and he looked at it and he cut it out right then and there and called me a couple days later and said, uh, we want you to come back. We need to take a larger incision 
we biopsied that mole and it was stage one melanoma. Oh, wow. So this was 2005, little mole cut off my back. I'm uh, 27 years old and thinking uh, I'm unstoppable. Nothing yeah. can get to me. And so at that point, just a stage one melanoma, there's not much they do for you. After that, regular dermatology checks. Okay. Uh, I was with Kaiser, and I think they may have been, I don't know, proactive, but chest x-rays is what they was my recommendation after that. And the chest x-rays really just start to give an idea of what's going on in your chest. Melanoma will spread to your lungs before you or most times into your lungs before anyone else. So could you dive into like what melanoma is? Because me, I don't really know. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, melanoma is a metastatic type of cancer. Um, you know, when you deal with skin cancer, there's three types. And you have basal cell and squamous cell. Okay. Both are non-malignant, which means they won't spread okay. in other organs or areas of the body. But they do leave nasty-looking scars. You know, the basal scale, the basal cell, and the um, squamous cell. They'll go, and doctors will go in and cut out and leave big nasty scars. Wow! It's your head, your neck, wherever. And then the melanoma type is metastatic, and that's what will spread to other places. And melanoma is a pretty aggressive cancer. So they were doing the chest X-rays to see if it was spreading and nothing, and. For me, I lived clean and clear for nine years and you know, kind of completely forgot about it other than going to the dermatologist annually. Okay. And then uh, January 2014, we were at a ball game for my son in San Clemente. And it was a baseball tournament over the weekend, and he had a 7 o'clock start on a Saturday night. And it was late and cold down there in January. Right. And bunch of parents stayed in a the hotel there, down there, and we go back to the room after the game, and parents meet at the bar, and within 10 minutes of standing there, I just got this cold chill and started to come over me. You know, I felt like I was getting sick, but it was like nothing I felt before. It was super fast, and just, I had a beer. I ordered a beer, <laughs> and I didn't even finish that beer, and I told my ex-wife, I got to go. I got to go lay down. Something's not right. So by the time I walked from the hotel bar to the room, I had started to shiver and shake and trying to like warm up. My body was cold and I get into the room. The kids are in there playing around and I crank up the heat and I jumped into bed fully clothed and I just laid there shivering. Next day I woke up with very little sleep throughout the night. My neck was sore and my hip flexors were sore. My abs were sore. I said, holy crap. And this is, uh, you know, five years into doing CrossFit. Okay. 36 years old and arguably the best shape of my life. You know, I played college football, so that puts you in a pretty good shape. Right. But, you know, now 15 years after that, almost as strong, but I'm lighter and I'm leaner. I can go further. The different type of training, you know, explosive, short movements in football versus, you know, like CrossFit. CrossFit, that base of CrossFit gave me a really good overall you know, level of health. It allowed me to do triathlons. I competed in multiple triathlons that I didn't train specifically for. I just used CrossFit as a base. Wow. I've done some pretty long hikes, you know, the Grand Canyon rim to rim, you know, without stopping. 
Yeah, I'm just using CrossFit as wow. a base. All kinds of fun, <laughs> wild, adventurous stuff without training for it and just using CrossFit as the base. That's amazing. So here I am in 2014 and feeling like absolute crap. And so the whole month of January rolls on and those symptoms slowly went away throughout the first week of January. And it turned into uh, pain in my abdomen and you know, not being able to sleep. Almost COVID symptoms. You're right. That's what I was thinking when you were in. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have vomiting. I didn't have diarrhea. I just felt like I got ran over by a bus. And then on my birthday, January 30th, 2014, uh, go out to dinner with the family. Couldn't eat. And, you know, family dinner or, you know, your birthday dinner, you choose your favorite spot. Right. So I didn't even have an appetite to eat. I'm down like 20 pounds. And get home that night and middle of the night, decide to go to the ER and go down here to Loma Linda, check in. First thing they do is run an ultrasound of my abdomen area. And the doctor come in and they explain that I had a mass growing in my abdominal area, either on my liver or my adrenal gland or diaphragm. So in that area where this tumor was growing is the space where your diaphragm expands. So if you okay. breathe, it would push on this mass. So they said it's 500 milliliters. And no, I don't speak in <laughs> milliliters, right? All right well, so what does that mean? And uh, they told me it's a water bottle, a 16 ounce water bottle. Wow. 500 milliliters. That's actually pretty big. Yeah. And uh, let that sink in. I was like, so it's not appendicitis? Is <laughs> that something that you're just going to patch me up soon? Right. No, we're going to do a, a little more in-detail scan, an MRI, get more information, and then uh, it'll go from there. Right. So then the next test, they come back, yeah, mass strong, growing on your adrenal gland. And so we're going to check into the hospital, collect urine to try to determine what type of tumor this is. And really the information that we're going to get from your urine will be useful for the anesthesiologist. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, at this point, I think we're going to cut it out. So anesthesiologists would need to know if it's two of, you know, however many specific types of tumors so he can have the right heart medication hanging. Okay. And so if the doctors cut it and it's the specific tumor and it makes your heart rate crash or your blood pressure do something, he'll be ready. Okay. So that's really all this stay in the hospital was for was to check the urine for the anesthesiologist. Got it. So it gets pretty complicated. You yeah. Know, all the doctors, everybody that touches it, radiologists, oncologists, surgical oncologists, pharmacists, your family doctor. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people. You, and, you know, so as a patient, you get lost in the wash. Right. You know, it's your health. Yeah. It's your story. and. So my ex-wife was a nurse, director of a couple units oh, okay. at Loma Linda. So she was really... She had a little bit of pull. Yeah, pool and, and comfortable with, you know, that environment. Right. And even with her help and assistance, it's like, you know, who do we talk to next? What do we do? So as more information and more tests came out, you know, there was always a new piece of that puzzle and trying to stitch it all together. So I'm in the hospital for two days. They've scanned my abdominal area and have me scheduled for surgery. 
as I am leaving two days later, putting on my shoes and socks, and I feel this pain in my shin as I put my sock on. And I think back, did I kick the bed or, you know, the night to do something? Like, no, that's kind of odd that my shin is sore. And so that's it. The thought passes. And uh, a few days later, I get a call from another doctor, surgical oncologist, and he's the one that's going to cut it out. And okay. So as I uh, had a meeting with the tumor team and they asked if I knew what the rest of your body looked like. And I don't. And so they recommend we do a full body PET scan before cutting out this tumor. Is that kind of like a C-scan or? Yeah. So a PET scan is going to be the most detailed scan you can get of your body. Okay. And you can go head to toe. Okay. And so what it does, so the whole process with the PET scan, it's pretty cool. You go to the, you know, the lab. And then you got to go fasted, you know, no food, 24 hours. And they inject a radioactive sugar dye into your blood. Oh, wow. And that sugar gets absorbed quickest by the cancer cells. And then so they Mm. give you this radiation, sit you in a dark room, ask you to relax uh, for an hour. And then they go and they shove you in this machine. And this machine now picks up on the dye that's spread out throughout your body. And the cancer cells are just eating it up, going to town. So oh. they call them hot spots. You know, so good thing that they put me through the PET scan instead of cutting out my adrenal gland. It turned out that I had tumors in my lungs and bone marrow in my legs. Wow. Yeah. And so that was the pain in my leg when I put my sock on. And, you know, it didn't dawn on me. You know, that's what it felt like, like I kicked something. Or right. Somebody hit me or, you know, I had a bump on my shin. Yeah, and so then the story then changes again, going to cutting this thing out, and now uh, you have it everywhere. So no sense in you know putting a band aid on your abdominal area. We right. have it everywhere, systemic. We just can't go after one part. We got to go after everything. Okay. And you know, having the history of melanoma, melanoma also runs in my family. My dad, aunt, grandma. It's throughout. My dad's currently fighting it now. So. They biopsy the tumor on my back or through my back into my adrenal gland and confirmed that it was melanoma. And then they also, you know, did some DNA sequencing, which is important, you know, because it, it determines, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners or you or, you know, get into, you know, genes and opening and closing pathways of determining how your body reacts. Or what do they call it? Yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about because my wife, when she was going through her mental health issue, they did a genetics test for what medication would work best for her. Yeah. Is that kind of similar? Epigenetics. Okay. So your epigenetics through your your biohacks, your day-to-day life, the environment you live in, you turn on and off different genes. Okay. But testing the cancer cells, they're able to determine the pathway and, and how, so they were able to determine how to communicate with this mutation that I have of the, the melanoma. It's called wow. the, BRAF, the BRAF mutation. Okay. And so it's a targeted cell therapy. Uh, you know, so I didn't have to undergo chemo that's specific to the BRAF mutation of melanoma. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So going in and meeting with the oncologist then after, you know, Stopping at the surgical oncologist, you know, he thought he was going to cut it out and then more testing. And so now I, I get assigned to an oncologist. And all when that's going down, I also get a case manager. 
Okay. So that all really, I think it was a combination of both the case manager and the oncologist. And maybe it was just a matter of finally starting to get all the answers and everything laid out. Right. Because like I said, you talk to one doctor and he wants to cut it out. You talk to another doctor, he wants to radiate it. You talk to another doctor, he wants to treat you with chemo. And it just depends on what their specialty is, right. their knowledge base is. And so you can hear that opinion, right? So I get the case manager who's kind of like a head coach. And then I get the oncologist who's kind of like the quarterback. Okay. And treatment plan was laid out. I get started on the BRAC medication. They're going and then I meet with the nurse. I was kind of down and out and upset and uh, sucks. Why am I sick? And uh, you know, kind of going through that whole fight. And she tells me, you know, look, you coming in here with a full tank of health puts you in a whole different area versus most of the patients that we see. Most of the patients are coming in with a low tank, oh, a okay. low health tank. You got a lot farther to go. Right. Uh, you know, so based on everything that you've been doing, your diet and your exercise, you've got a lot farther to go before you run out of health. Okay. Even though, you know, here I am in the best shape of my life and I'm getting cancer, you know, how do you explain that? Right. You know, I'm not supposed to be sick. I'm 37 years old. Best shape of your life. Yeah. yeah. Paleo, you know, clean, almost completely eliminated alcohol, uh, you know, cut way back. No grains, no dairy, no legumes. I'm buying local grass-fed steers from a guy out here in Anza. Okay. You know, I got a garden going. Uh, part of my exercise regime is two-mile walk to the farmer's market on Sundays, and then farmer carrying home two bags full of produce. You know, yeah. so I'm fully in. I'm living the life. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sounds it. like it. Yeah, yoga, riding mountain bikes. Having a good know. time. Yeah, good time. Living, um, yeah, I'm coaching CrossFit. Got a good community around me. Good, strong sense family. You know, like my parents are you know close by. I got a great relationship with my brother. All these things are firing off, and I get cancer. Yeah, what the heck? And so that weighed on me a little bit. Getting reassurance from the nurse and having her tell me, you know, look, don't be so down and out. There is a benefit to what you've been doing, right? So it was good. Something else, another meeting I had with the oncologist. This is crazy. First time going and meeting him. Nurse comes in with a big stack of papers. You can imagine all the consent and waivers. Oh, yeah. Sign. I bet. And one of the first ones she gets to, uh, she asked me, is a will. She said, do you have a living will? I said, like, no. What the heck? She's like, well, before our next visit, you need to have this filled out. Wow. That's, when that's shit, an eye opener. That's when shit sits in. Yeah. 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 You sit back and you're like, what the? All the other questions start running through your head. What's my life expectancy? You know, right. am I going to live? Am I gonna, is the cancer going to make me loss of my limbs? And, you, know, all the, you start spinning out. Yeah. Start going down a rabbit hole with right. bad thoughts. Right. Right. Yeah. So here I am, pulled through it. And I think it was part of that community in CrossFit and being surrounded by people that you look up to and are inspiring. So when I got sick, I was working for a local developer and I was building an assisted living facility for him. And we were you know, just about halfway through the construction process on a 
seven acre, hundred thousand square foot unit wow. or uh, facility. So the stress was pretty high, and I decided to keep working through the whole thing. I didn't take any like sick days, you know, other than doctor visits. Uh, something else going into the fight with a high level of health. I was able to maintain, you know, my daily routine. Well, I take it back, except for January, February, March, and April of that year. You know, I got diagnosed in January right. and, you know, testing. And by April, you were back. I was starting to come around. Okay. We had a vacation planned to Costa Rica in April. And yeah, I really wanted to go. Right. You know, vacation was planned well before getting <laughs> sick. And so, you know, that was part of the questioning of the doctor. Am I going to be able to do this? I really want to make this trip. And the whole timing of the getting on the drugs and the testing and everything worked out where we went to Costa Rica, my ex-wife and another couple the week before the medication was ready. So we got back and then go and pick up medication about a week later. Okay. And as we were down there in Costa Rica, being confronted with this, you know, life changing event, uh, and being in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Right. You know, being surrounded by love. Then got my feet in the sand, the sun on my back, and you know, it's where I want to be, you know, it's what I feel made of. Right. Right. You know, it's like a, a decision. So anyway, we get back. Yeah, it was a great time. We had a beautiful time down there. And uh, one of the days we got up and did a workout going down the beach, down the sand, and did like high knees and karaoke's, long jumps and inchworms and, you know, just all kinds of fun body movement stuff. I think we even played a game where we had to make up an animal and you had to move like that animal. Oh, wow. And so there's four of us. That's actually pretty cool. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, crab walk or bear or something. You bear crawl. Yeah. yeah. And so we did this little workout and it made me sore. And that was the last day of our trip. We get home and I feel the soreness in my muscles again. Yeah. I love that feeling working out. Part of the reason is for the next couple of days, you feel your muscles are sore and you've done something. Right. And you've worked on them. I feel like you've accomplished. More, yeah. Right? It's an accomplishment. And so we get back and like the news that the medications in. I've just come back from this amazing vacation and like, okay, reset, tune in and overcome. So, yeah. When I did, made the decision, started medication, kept working, and this was April. And so decided to become AOS a soccer coach. <laughs> we decided to uh, become a pop warner football coach. And so it was a busy year. Doing it all. Doing it all. Fighting cancer, coaching my daughter's soccer team. My son was in eighth grade. Part of my family tradition, we were never allowed to play football until high school. Okay. And I was going to follow the rules of my dad and, <laughs> and his dad. And so he wasn't going to be able to play until freshman year. He was really chomping at the bit. And, hey, come on, you know, this, you know yeah. same story I told my dad when I was a kid. <laughs> All my friends are playing. And, da, da, da. and so anyways, I said, you know what? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the next year, you know six months of my life looks like. You're right. So let's go. Let's sign up. And this is the first, his third practice. And it was my first practice. I was there watching. And the head coach comes over up to me on the sideline. So, uh, Harry played some college football. 
Yeah. All right. You're, you're our new D coordinator. <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 all right. What, what, what does this entail? Well, three practices a week and games on Saturday. So they jumped in it, you know, did all the certification stuff and, uh, and loved it. It was a lot of fun. Glad I did it. So got that experience with my son. Yeah. Freshman year, he went on next year to play. Yeah, so doing soccer practice on Wednesday, Monday and Wednesday nights with my daughter, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, football on Saturdays. So, yeah, but I wouldn't have changed it because, you know, really, what are we living for? Right. Like a lot of this is an eye opener of what little time we do have here, right? Mm-hmm. And what's really important. Right, right. And, yeah, that's what the nurse, uh, the oncology nurse, asked me. Uh, one of the first things, you know, do you want to do this? You know, she made it clear, like, this is a fight, this is a battle, and you got to be in. Right. And yeah, I'm not sure if she knew who she was dealing with, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I went for a challenge. Right. And so I was like, well, yeah, but what else is there? That's, you know, we're going to beat it. Let's do it. Yeah, just making that decision and getting after it. And her, the motivation, she asked me, you know, you're going to have to find your motivation. You know, what is it? And, you know, four kids. And so it was pretty easy for me. And my two younger ones are uh, girls. And it was to see them get married. You know, that was my big wish, my dream. Your why? Yeah. At that moment in life. Yeah, that was it. I wanted to see them get married. And then after that, whatever. Yeah. So here we are six years later. And then we're going to do it. You're cancer-free? or Yeah, cancer-free. So it was a year exactly. It was um, I went in on my birthday, 2014. Yeah, I was working, coaching, and so the uh, and then January 2015, I went in and had a PET scan that that came back all clean. They, wow! Yeah, I call it med, no evidence of disease. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you just get chills when they told you, or? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. I had known prior to that that the cancer was shrinking. I was getting routine PET scans. So throughout this whole thing, my older brother, you know, my childhood idol, passes away in March of 2014, two months after I'm diagnosed. Yeah, I could only imagine my mom, right? Right. Her older son passes away, and then her next boy is Thanks. diagnosed with cancer. That's a crazy story. Do you imagine giving your older brother's eulogy shortly after diagnosed with age four cancer? I felt like I was giving my own eulogy. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That, that's, that's wild. Yeah. And I couldn't even so, imagine. Yeah. And uh, so after all that, uh, my son was standing there talking, asking me if I could feel the cancer. I said, you know, I started pushing. I said, yeah, right here. And so... My cousin, other friend, health touched. Mm-hmm. You can feel it in my abdomen. It was a month later when I started uh, targeted cell therapy. So now I knew that that tumor was there and I could feel it. Within a week of starting the medication, I couldn't feel it anymore. Just within a week? Within a week. So I knew. I was going to beat it. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, so I was on that medication for four months, and one of the routine oncology visits, they do blood work, and the oncologist comes in and says, well, uh, we have to stop you for the medication. I'm about to put you into renal failure. 
your medication is getting toxic and your liver can't process it anymore. And so he stopped me from that targeted cell therapy and he said, we're going to give you a month rest and we're going to knock it out with the one-two punch with immunotherapy. And it's a drug called Yervoy. Okay. It's pretty common or more common than what I, the targeted cell therapy that I was on. Yervoy is higher up the chain of the genes and so it reaches more cancers. Okay. So that whole uh, getting the genes sequenced and and the the biopsy, they're able to specifically go after that gene BRAF mutation. So the Yervoy is higher up the chain and then so like chemo would be even higher up. Okay. So you think pyramid, you know, chemo, you know, or upside down pyramid, chemo is going to hit all kinds of things underneath it. And then if you go into uh, immunotherapy, it sits down below and it only hits fewer things. And then targeted cell therapy would be down at the very bottom where it's specific to that one specific cell. Okay. And do they like to start at the bottom and kind of work their way up? Ideally. Okay. Ideally. Yeah, it goes right after the cancer. Okay. And I think that's specifically why I was able to, within a week, palpate my stomach and, and not feel anything in there any longer. Okay. Yeah, the targeted cell therapy, that's pretty tricked out stuff. It's They figured out how to use a protein to attach to the cancer cell, and that protein then is like the phone for your immune system. So that protein will answer the call from your immune system to then attack the cancer cell. Okay. Very tricked out. <laughs> that, that's insane. Yeah. Because when I think of cancer, I only think of chemo. And, you know, a lot of us don't know all the different medicines or techniques that they're using and coming out with. So I think that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It's very wild. But, it, but it's harder on, like, your liver and stuff like that because it's more direct, Right. Right. Yeah, so I guess my liver was doing all the cleansing of, okay. you know, the whatever chemicals and whatever else, the byproducts that are in it. Right. The liver couldn't clean them out and get rid of it. Okay. My, I got it written down here because I got to know. You said you were going like every year to get checked up. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason why I didn't get caught sooner or? So for the first five years after having the mole cut off my back was going annually for the x-rays. Okay. And quit going after that. And people say cancer grows fast. You know, it's a relative term, right? Right. To me, fast was like six, nine months, 12 months maybe. And it's more like three weeks, two weeks. I think it's that melanoma, at least for me. It could go that fast. Fast. Wow. You know, partly I know or think this, I went into CrossFit Overload on January 1st, 2014, and did a workout. It's a, a girl's named workout. It's Grace. You know, so if you're in the CrossFit community, you know, 30 clean and jerks for time. Okay. And that's the workout. 30 power clean and jerks for time. And I was there going after an ex-NFL lineman, uh, Mike Houghton big strong guy he coached me yeah you know Mike yep yeah I coached you at, at <laughs> yeah Paloma. Paloma yep yeah and so you know Coach Houghton and he went prior to me 
and there's a bunch of us standing around watching and counting, and he got an amazing time, 158, or maybe 157. He got under two minutes. And that's good. That's really good. Okay. And that was next up, and I was like, nah, I got to push. You know, I got to push. <laughs> you know, the competitive spirit comes out, you know, thinking about this guy in the NFL. You know, that was my dream to be in the NFL. I played college football, and that's as far as I got. My thing is I was never fast enough for my size. Okay. Yeah, you know, so I'm not big enough, and the size I do have, I'm yeah. not fast enough. Okay. So here I am going after Mike, and he beat me by a second. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, I moved. I worked my ass off, and I felt great. So in my head, no way I could have performed like that, not feeling tip-top. Right. Then it was the next day at that baseball tournament when I felt like I was getting ran over by a train. And it was that fast. So wow. the day before, I you know do a sub-two-minute grace. And then the next day, during bed, 36 hours later, and then, yeah, the next night, I just feel like this weird-ass sickness, almost like a gray cloud, was over me and started to rain. And so that analogy, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad. It might be negative self-talk, but, you know, I try to put that gray cloud away as often as possible. But that's kind of how it is living with, you know, the fear of cancer coming back. Right. That cloud, when's it going to start raining? Right. And you, do you still live with that fear? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard daily. Yeah. I can go on and on about, and it sucks, and I get sore or I feel a new pain or whatever the case may be. And it's like, shit, it's cancer. Shit, it's cancer. Shit, it's back. Yeah. When you start feeling those pains, do you go right to the doctor or? <laughs> no. No. I'm bad about that. Okay. No. No, I'd be there all the time. Okay. I don't know about all the time, but yeah, I don't let it. I don't live in fear. I don't okay. let it to me. I can't let it. You got to put it away, right? Can't let it define you. Right. And, you know, yeah, if I live my day by an agenda and have meetings set up and appointments and I got to be here and be there and, and do all these things, you know, 7.30 a.m. I might have on that agenda, do it with the cloud. Okay. You know. Just so, put in your daily routine. Yeah. Think about it, do it, move on and know that, you know, you got an umbrella. Know you got waders and, and rain boots. You're fine. Okay. You know. Now, how were your emotions when you first found out and then when you found out the second time? Like, what was your thought process and how were you kind of feeling? Uh, the first time with the mole on my back? Yeah. I think it was completely different. You know, the mole on my back, I was 27 years old. And even though it was melanoma, it didn't dawn on me. You know, just skin cancer. It was okay. a mole cut off in my back. Uh, I wasn't thinking 10 years down the line or I thought it was caught. The mole was cut off. I'll start putting on sunscreen and you know, wearing a hat more often. And so it was, it didn't nearly have the effect. And at that point, my second son was already born. Yes, I had two kids, but it still didn't set in. And so I don't know, maybe then the second time coming around, I was down there debilitating that month of January, uh, getting a little sleep. And I'm one that sleeps really well. I've never had an issue with falling asleep or sleeping. And so to go from eight hours, no problem, to now uh, struggling to get four or five, you know, that month of January, it, it was tough. It was really tough. 
and then having four-year-old daughter, six-year-old daughter, and watching four-year-old absorb the emotions that the rest of us were feeling. I just wanted to dive into that and how your family was dealing with all of it and how your kids were feeling and your wife at the time, how she was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, so my youngest was four and then six. And, you know, they say children, you know, monkey see, monkey do. They're sponges. It was interesting to watch the four-year-old and how it affected her. And I think even still to this day, it burned in like this deep empathy that she has for people. Okay. Her watching myself and my former wife go through that and deal with all the emotions of it, but not directly having any discussions with my four-year-old about it. You know, what do you say to a four-year-old? Right. How do you explain that? Right. But she saw it. She felt it. And, you know, it was interesting. Like, she was a direct reflection of us. And so watching her deal with it, it was looking in a mirror at us deal with it. Right. Kind of mirroring what her parents are, how they're dealing with it. Right. And a lot of times there's not a lot of words even said, but there's, you know, tears. It's there. Yeah. 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 Now that you are a survivor and out on the other side, like how, how are you living your life differently? Are you living it differently or? I think so. I'd like to think so. You know, and I think that year joining or becoming a soccer coach and football coach at that time, I hadn't started coaching CrossFit yet. You know, so for me, that gave me the idea that I need to give back being a coach you know, using what I, I know, my knowledge, and yeah, give back to the community, I think. And yeah, just living life to the fullest, trying to be present, you know, which is hard in the, the day and age we live in with social media and the phone, mm-hmm. you know. It's really challenging with the kids and being sidetracked. So it's trying to be there yeah. constantly. Say somebody yesterday learned that they got a cancer diagnosis. What three things would you share with them? I think, yeah, you know, I would definitely tell them, you know, it's not the end of the world. There's, there's definitely hope. You know, so I go down that path. Everything with uh, dealing with struggles, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. Find your why. Exactly. Find your why. And then I'd also, you know, say in terms of treatment, you know, try to find somebody or something that can be the quarterback because there's a a lot of moving parts and you can get lost in the wash. And I think our healthcare system needs to do a better job of that. There needs to be some sort of middleman assigned to cancer patients or, you know, any disease specific patient that communicates with all the different pieces of the pie. There's lots of, information that can be missed um, and by one doctor or another doctor and they don't see it or even just doctors not communicating. I had an MRI last week. Why are you issuing another MRI? You know, All right. that stuff happens. And so now I got to go have a, another test because that doctor, doctor doesn't even know I had this test last week. Oh, okay. Yeah. So finding somebody that could coordinate, I think is a huge relief to a cancer patient. 
you know, you're dealing with the emotional struggles, uh, you're dealing with uh, you know, treatment, nausea, vomiting, you know, getting through that whole thing, dealing with communicating with family, there's a lot going on. Right. And number three, I would find, say, you know, find a space, a headspace where you can you know, zone out, whether that be meditation, yoga, riding the bike, yoga, walking, hitting the gym, you know, find time for yourself. Right. What a powerful, powerful story. And thank you so much for sharing today. Do you have any book recommendations that you would like to share with anybody? I like to ask everybody at the end of the interviews. Yes. The Power of One by Bruce Doherty. Yeah. It's about this kid who struggles as a kid, as an orphan. He gets bullied. He doesn't have any real direction in life as a younger kid. Throughout his struggles, he comes across some influential people that kind of give him direction, set his bearings, and set his table for success. Yeah, he overcomes a lot of adversity, and in the end, you know, he triumphs. I'm going to have to check that one out. That sounds like a good book. And I'll make sure to put it in the show notes on the online. The power of one. Power of one, you guys. Love it. I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to dive into. Now, where can people find you if they wanted to kind of check out your story or what you're up to? Or I will professionally, Full Circle Builders, Inc. Okay, good. Uh, got a website. I'm a general contractor. You can find me there on Instagram. That's the only social media I use. Okay. Do you do just the SoCal area or? Yeah, SoCal. Try to stay Temecula Valley, but as far as work goes. Okay. And then you, did you give the website? FullCircleBuildersInc.com. Okay. Yeah, it's my construction website. You guys go check it out. Well, I appreciate your time today, Matt. And thank you for the story and sharing it with everybody. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful and I got a lot out of it. Sweet. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm honored. Thanks. Thank you.